You're listening to Coach Every Day, a purposeful way to connect and create meaning for other humans in their context as we hurdle through the universe on our complex and uncertain planet. Coach Every Day is about creating clarity in the absence of certainty during our continuous effort to achieve truly mutualistic relationships in response to those who want us all to be a little less human. I'm Brad Eisen, and I coach every day. We're so busy. We've got so much to do. And there just seems to be no end in sight. And that, like, it blows my mind that we continue to allow a system that was built on the idea that there would always be someone at home to take care of the household. That's why we have 40-hour work weeks. People could go off to work 8 to 10 hours a day because there was somebody at home taking care of the house, cooking the meals, picking the kids up, dealing with the mail, dealing with the bills, dealing with contractors having to show up to make repairs, going grocery shopping, booking appointments. But we don't live in a system where one person is at home full-time anymore. Maybe some families can afford that luxury, but it's few and far between. And that's evident by the need for childcare and a lot of other things. But we're just so busy. And in our busy lives, we're moving quick. I mean, even as I record this podcast uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, it is it's it's May third. That's the you know it's it's eight forty eight a.m. May third. Today it's going to hit twenty nine degrees Celsius. In Edmonton, that's hot. Let alone the beginning of May when we've just come out of a deep freeze. I I was. I once did an interview with Monica Sanders, who's the head of the 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 uh, the Undivide Project, and she lives down in the southern United States. and And while we were talking, she said that in the heat they experience, they just slow right down to deal with the heat. and And I remember vividly her saying that. When the UK was seeing their heat wave, I, I think it was last year or the year before, she just saw all these news images of people running around with their suits on and they're going to work and and everything seemed normal. But when it gets that hot, you just need to slow down. And so I'm reminded that as we hit 29 degrees in northern Canada uh, in the spring at the beginning of May we just need to slow down and that's why 
for the coaching for complexity framework. That's why I made the second phase of the coaching sensing. Because sensing and coaching is about active listening. It's about empathy. It's about decoding nonverbal communication. And that all takes presence and time and non-judgment and the ability for us to slow down in the presence with those we're coaching. And so for this podcast, I want to talk, uh, I want to get started on sensing. I'll have future episodes on sensing. But I want to talk about, and and I'm going to tie this into uh, with something called the Wallace line. And if, if you're not familiar with the Wallace line, uh, it is kind of this faunal boundary line that was drawn up by a, a British naturalist named Alfred Russell Wallace. And, and it was named the Wallace line uh, by an English biologist, T.H. Huxley, And it separates the biogeographical area between sort of Asia and Australia. And and what it is, it's it's described as a complex biogeography of the Indo-Australian archipelago. So if you kind of look at north, sort of west Australia, you'll see this archipelago. Uh, I think it's called, if I remember correctly, it's it. It might be the Malay archipelago, but don't uh, don't quote me on that. But what this Wallace line represents is it's it's a merging point of four tectonic plates and these other isolated plates in combination with ancient sea levels. And what this line has done is it's it's this invisible boundary where Asian animals and fauna have not crossed into the Australian side and it and the Australian animals and fauna have not crossed over into the Asian side and there's not a lot of space I, I think it's only like 35 kilometers between the Asian, or Indonesia side and the uh, Australia side. But the fauna and animals and birds don't have not yet crossed these boundaries. So you're not seeing like Asian, Indo- Indonesian elephants getting over into Australia uh, or birds or whatever. And so what this Wallace line represents is... A, a hidden constraint, a hidden boundary that exists and we've only become aware of it because we've had biologists and, and geographers spend time looking and figuring out you know, why flora and fauna and, and animals have not crossed over this invisible line. And so it, it for me, it, it represents 
the same kind of thing with people and the relationships and the networks that we exist in. In between all of us, there's these invisible lines, these invisible constraints that are created as boundaries. And they can be intentional or unintentional, uh, said or unsaid, but they exist. So maybe at work, you've set boundaries with your coworkers. Or maybe in the office, you have this constraint or policy where, you know, managers are not allowed to buy food for staff. And what is the impact of that type of constraint or boundary on an organization? And the only one of the best ways, I won't say the only way, but one of the best ways to sense those constraints within people, within networks, those invisible lines, is through sensing. And it's through the act of being present with those you're coaching. It's being in a non-judgmental way, as a way to kind of see and decode the the said and unsaid verbal cues that you get from those you work with. And when you can work with a coachee and start to sense and uncover the things that you can't see or hear, you get an insight into who that person is uh, in, in a way that you would never have gotten to know if you didn't take that time and didn't practice uh, listening actively and trying to evoke some sort of awareness in, in who that person is and why they make decisions or behave in a certain way. Because as we know, much of the conflict uh, that arises between people, between organizations, between networks. It's not so much the things that are, you know, out in the open. It's it's the things that are underneath the water, like the Wallace line, those tectonic plates that sit there that, that weren't found um, for, you know, until recently. I think in the 1960s, tectonic plates Uh, We became aware of them and their impact on the shifting of earth. And so sensing in many contexts is about, you know, seeing things in a different way, visualizing them and mapping out the relationships. One analogy, you know, you've you've ever heard of remote sensing. It's big in the forestry industry. Uh, There are organizations that will... Uh, go out and and take uh, 3D photography of various sections of a forest. And then they'll use those imageries. They'll have someone identify, you know, through those images, why certain trees or a, a stand of trees or, you know, a patch of trees are growing in a certain area. They'll identify... You know, why a birch tree stand exists where it does and why there are other types of trees around it. 
And then from that, they can also start to forecast what that forest will look like in, uh, in the future. And that's, that's done through something called remote sensing. So for the coaching for complexity framework, I've used sensing as the phase where you use your active listening skills and you use your powerful questions to have empathy with the coachee to support them in gathering and gaining a deeper understanding of their viewpoint and emotions. And, and this is done in a non-directive way because, again, we want to help people see their situation in an alternate way, which often leads to the coachee seeing things in a different light, which then provides them with more options than, than they may have um, been aware of before the coaching conversation. And so... Sensing isn't really so much about the coach sensing on behalf of the coachee. It's about the coach creating an environment where the coachee can sense new things about the situation they're in. And, and the way we do that, um, you know, w- one big one is, is empathy. Um, there's a saying in coaching that before you ask a question, you want to determine as the coach, are you being curious for yourself as the coach? Or are you being curious for the coachee? And, and through that, as a coach, you want to ask open-ended questions with genuine curiosity on behalf of the client. You want to let go of your bias You want to refrain from offering any type of unsolicited advice or solutions. You want to acknowledge any type of feelings that the coachee is having. And you want to listen with a goal to help them understand their situation. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice because so often we can get caught up in wanting to ask questions because we want to know more about the situation so we can provide advice or a solution. But again, that's not what your role as a coach is. And so in its simplest form, empathy is the ability to you know recognize emotions in others and to understand their perspective without judgment and without bias. And, and you can get to that level, but it takes practice. This whole idea that, uh, you know, I've heard about, you know, leaders who display empathy have this natural talent to connect to others is, is a complete fraudulent uh, thing. It's anyone can learn to be empathic with the proper practice, guidance from others, and and the desire to want to reflect on one's actions during a coaching conversation. So that's why in the Coaching for Complexity training, we spend a lot of time 
just coaching other people. And we spend a lot of time in groups where we observe other people coaching others. And then we debrief and reflect as a group on what they liked about what the coach was doing. And it, and it gives an opportunity for the coachee to reflect and talk about how they felt during the coaching conversation. And what we're doing there is we're just continually building up the coach's awareness of the questions they ask, the impact those questions have on the thoughts of the coachee. And, and we invite feedback from others who are observing as a way to rapidly construct those, you know, active listening, powerful questions and, and sensing skills in a coach. So if, if you did catch the previous uh, podcast on scoping, that's where we talked about, you know, the major and minor aspects but we also started to touch on listening, uh, active listening and powerful questions. So if you didn't catch that episode, episode, go back to it because it it really kicks us off as to how listening actively and asking open-ended, powerful open-ended questions are, are critical to, to coaching, non-directive coaching. So you'll often... You know, when I'm coaching, you know, what's going through my mind when I'm sitting across from somebody in in terms of sensing? Well, first off, I'm I'm watching their body language. I I'm spending a great deal of time just, you know, taking a quick peek at how they're sitting and determining whether I'm sitting opposite of them in terms of if, if they've got their hand you know, their left arm on the table, you know, maybe I'll put my left arm on the table to kind of match that that positioning. And then when I when I ask a question and I see them thinking, you know, I'm looking at what they're doing with their hands. I'm, I'm looking at where their eyes are going and where they're staring into. And I'm, I'm watching for changes in that physical behavior to sort of use that as a way to decode uh, maybe what their what their thought process is like. So you might notice when you ask a question about a, a certain topic, the the coachee could display some sort of tell, like scratching the back of their head or flicking their hair or you know grabbing their hands, whatever it is. That's an indicator that it's something has shifted for them. And you want to bring awareness to that uh, in terms of, you know, asking and, and giving feedback. So it could be something like, you know, if you're talking to a coachee, it could be something like, you know, I, I notice whenever we talk about this subject and, and I ask a question, you know, you scratch the back of your neck. What, what do you think that means? What's going through your head after I ask that question? And, and then you can start to develop trends that maybe every time they scratch the back of their neck, uh, it's because it, it's stressful or, or maybe it's, you know, they're trying to land on an idea or a solution. 
But as a coach, it's it's our job to kind of pick up on that. Uh, be curious about what's making the coachee behave that way. And then to kind of bring awareness to them to kind of uncover what they're thinking or what they might be seeing in their mind's eye. Because a lot of what they're thinking or seeing in their head is going to be critical to the conversation. That Those kind of thoughts and ideas need to come out in the open. So the coachee can verbalize it and, and maybe it's something you could put in, you know, the coaching sandbox to test during a conversation. Uh, because I, I like to tell people that a coaching conversation is like a sandbox. You know, whatever happens in this conversation doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen out in real life. So let's play around with it. Let's test it here. See how it fits. See how it feels. And, and then maybe we can develop something around that. And, and that all kind of falls within this sensing phase of the coaching conversation. So after scoping, after you've kind of teased out the major and minor aspects, you you start to use active listening and open-ended questions to shift into the, the sensing part of the conversation. And I mean it it sensing doesn't start and end. You're you're sensing and scoping throughout the entire conversation. Uh, it's just that at at some point in a coaching conversation, you know, you'll move into other areas of the conversation that work specifically on identifying possible solutions or strategies, but only when the coachee is ready to do so. And even when you're moving into strategizing, supporting, and sustaining, you're still always sensing. And you may even go back into scoping to make sure that the minor aspect of the conversation is still being addressed. So after, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes with a coachee, I might go back to check in and, and just make sure that, again, we're on track to, to meet the minor aspect of, of the conversation. So that is sensing in a nutshell. We've got more on sensing in the our non-directive coaching Wikipedia or wiki, which you can find on uh, a link in the description to this podcast. So I, I would encourage you to go check out the wiki, learn a little bit more about sensing in the other phases for coaching complex with complexity. And, and if, uh, you know, keep that wiki in your favorites bar or on your browser tab because we're always updating it uh, and adding new information as it becomes available. So I, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And as usual, stay human, coach every day.